0: This is the International Education Marketing Podcast, a roundup of news stories and how they might impact marketing and recruiting for the international education sector. Hi everyone, I'm Daniel Chatham and this is episode 75 of the Higher Education Marketing Podcast. I'm a little bit under the weather today, but not less excited uh, for the stories. Our contributors today are... Ellie Hoffman and?
1: Kamala Frazier.
0: Thanks for being here. Ellie, why don't you get us started?
2: Great, thank you. So this week I found an article that is about the legacy admissions that are happening at colleges and universities around the country. This is very closely connected to the recent um, affirmative action cases that are being seen at the Supreme Court and legacy admissions basically refers to um, the practice at top universities of admitting students whose family members also attended those universities. The advantage for universities in doing this is that they often receive large monetary donations and there are better retention rates of those students. But with a new report the practices come under fire because there's scandal around it and there's definitely um, bias and advantages being enjoyed by these students that are not being enjoyed by others.
0: Uh, Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, There's a lot to unpack to be sure. Kamala, how about yours?
1: Um, So uh, I'm also really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, The article that I found has to do with um, Hong Kong's new graduate visa that they just launched. Um, And on October 19th, the um, chief executive of Hong Kong, John Lee, he announced uh, the top talent pass, which is a two year working visa. Um, And it's uh, the people that are eligible are um, people that make 2.5 million in Hong Kong dollars, which is around like 300K in US dollars. uh, And also individuals that graduated from uh, top 100 universities plus three years of working experience. Um, And this visa kind of like came about because of a lot of restrictions because of COVID-19. And so Hong Kong lost like over 140,000 of their workforce over the past like two years. So they're really trying to get uh, and like trying to recruit global talent from around the world to kind of like compensate um, for that, um, and also they mentioned in addition to this a relaxation of some like procedures for employers that are um, trying to recruit like foreigners, and then also um, uh, loosening immigration measures uh, for overseas students um, and also mainland China. Um, by limiting, or not limiting, uh, extending the limit of stay from one year to being two years.
0: Thank you. Well, on the, on the surface, these are two very different articles, and they represent different spheres. I can't help but wonder if there's, in some way, a monetary connection between them. The idea of admitting legacies is connected, in some ways, to expectations for giving and alumni donors and the Hong Kong Kong article speaks to economic empowerment, which also at its root is a monetary issue. I'm wondering what you think. You know, what what are some of the implications and, and specifically who's impacted by this news or potentially impacted by this news?
2: Absolutely, I agree that the economic implications are a big consideration for universities. Um, especially in their marketing and recruiting. Um, who they market and recruit to um, is very much tied to what their finances are and what their budget is. And so um, stopping legacy admissions has the possibility of making them reevaluate what their economic priorities are and how they're going to meet those.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a school? As a school, yes. Right. Okay. Um, and so who's... Who's impacted by uh, eliminating the legacy bias?
2: Certainly alumni would be impacted. The article um, mentioned some concerns over universities having angry alumni, alumni who would no longer be contributing. um, And then those alumni's children or their students who would be attending the school would be impacted. Looking at this through an international education lens, um, when universities have to adjust um, their enrollment plans or numbers based on um, things like legacy admissions going away. That could potentially open the door for more international students to come to a campus. It could make the university reevaluate where those international students are coming from, and it could contribute to the overall diversity on campus. Yeah,
0: interesting take. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Come on, how about yours? Who's impacted on that?
1: Um, I think I'm one of the first, like, Target markets that I thought about was um, just mainland China students I think because in the past I think it was very difficult for mainland China students to go to Hong Kong um, due to like uh, restrictions but also because they had to have a prior job offer to even go to Hong Kong for that and this kind of opens that door of if they qualify as one of the eligible um, um, targets then they have that opportunity to go there so I think that was a big one Um, Another question that kind of arose for me was um, the use of just like rankings, like in general. um, I know that in the past, like there was a similar visa that was made in um, like Shanghai and then also in the UK around like circulating around the the global rankings of the top 50. They'll accept graduates from like the top 50 um, universities based on international rankings. But like something that was interesting from this article was that Um, Hong Kong didn't specify which global rankings that they would be using for um, this so it kind of um, had me questioning a lot of of that and makes it kind of also more difficult to like kind of pinpoint exactly which market it's impacting.
0: Yeah, interesting. So it's almost like when one door closes, the alumni uh, legacy admissions, another door opens more mainland Chinese have access to education in Hong Kong. I know the world isn't balanced that precisely, but nonetheless, um, I'm feeling like with the legacy piece, that in some ways is a fairly Western notion. And if it goes away, is that necessarily a bad thing?
2: No, absolutely not, at least in my opinion. I think um, it has the potential to open the door to more diversity and looking at some background research it definitely is a more American notion. Um, It's not something that's practiced in other countries and they seem to be doing okay. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, to your point earlier about more international students, if, if the university as a whole any generic university, of course, loses donors, they will be inclined to look for revenue to make that up. And you pointed out that international students might have more access because there'll be a shortfall of revenue. A lot of the legacy folks that come in uh, pay full price and some of them don't, but international students almost always pay full price for typical degree programs so that could in fact increase international diversity and open more doors for international students i don't know that it's a guarantee but it is certainly a possibility and it seems that that's possibly a good thing in the chinese article and about hong kong i wonder if there will be more diversity in the universities in hong kong or if they're already diverse enough that this new influx of mainland Chinese students wouldn't necessarily change the dynamic or are we expecting that maybe it will really change the dynamic and there'll be fewer international students because there'll be more from mainland China. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that?
1: That's a very interesting point. It's actually something I was thinking about too when I was kind of going into um, the research because that could kind of, because they want this global talent, right, but if they open the doors for somewhere that's closer and they have more access to that, I wonder how that balances out. Um, but yeah, I know it's an interesting and good question to be asking.
0: I wonder what you think maybe the um, the universities could do from a marketing perspective, like if. Let's, let's say that both of these ins- instances go to their full extent, um, that legacy admissions is no longer an allowable thing, like totally. And that uh, the, the doors are much more wide open for Chinese students in Hong Kong universities. How might that impact the marketing campaigns, marketing plans of universities in those two respective countries?
2: I think perhaps universities will start by looking at um, which countries they might target to make up those shortfalls, as you mentioned, with um, tuition and things like that. Perhaps it's just my own somewhat naive hope, but I would imagine that if legacy admissions were to go away, perhaps the campus would start thinking more about diversity in other respects. Perhaps they would start thinking about how can we diversify the number of countries represented on our campus and what new markets can we enter?
0: Sure, sure. Uh, So one of the prerequisites here is going to be ability to pay. Absolutely. So what does that um, suggest for developing versus advanced economies?
2: It suggests that there will still be that bias towards the developed economies um, and the economies Whose governments perhaps have partnerships or programs to send their students to the United States. Um, however, again, potentially more partnerships could later be formed.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. How about Hong Kong, marketing?
1: Um, I think because of the one of the eligible like talent sec- sections is the like three hundred k range. Um, I think they're trying to market towards very particular, like, career field. So, like, maybe, like, legal system, like, medical, like, sectors, um, like, data science, like, very, um, like, almost, like, STEM kind of region. Um, So I think they could, since they're already, I feel like, going to get a lot from, like, mainland China, I think they should start or could start um, looking at countries that have really high... um, like interests or like are very good at um, like those like high technology. Like maybe for example, like India, I think has a lot of um, of like that kind of background that um, they could maybe have like a market plan like for like the Indian students, um, and then just like through like market research, they could find different countries and different markets. But then kind of like what we were talking about today in class, like finding those different markets and then having a plan for each one, I think could be a direction that they could go. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's interesting that both of these articles do also connect, not just monetarily, but they also connect from a policy standpoint. They're the results of potential policy changes, one through the judicial system and, and one through the political uh, policymaking channels. Um, it strikes me as important to acknowledge that policies and and policy making in general whichever pathway it happened can really have an impact on international education Uh, and i'm wondering how that feels to you as educators
2: it's a really good question um the first thing that comes into my mind is just how important it is to do external analysis Um, as an educator, as a marketer, as a recruiter, um, looking at your environment, looking at the political processes, um, the social environment, all of those things that are happening around us externally. I think in some circumstances the fact that all of this is dependent, at least to a certain extent, on politics um, could make it feel a bit unstable at times, depending who's in power and what their agenda is. I think it, it's also encouraging, perhaps, if you want to look at it from a different perspective, that this does go to the highest levels and it does have a potential to make that difference, um, you know, all throughout a country and to change a policy and to change the ways people are getting educated and pursuing their futures.
1: You made really, really good points. Um, I guess to kind of pull something that you said, um, I think it's really important, like who, like in the political sphere, it's really important who is in power because if they have a mindset of like global learning is great like more like um, around like intercultural competence stuff like this if they have this mindset and they have a position of power they have a seat at that table that they can be putting their voice into that and it can make a positive impact but there's also you know the flip side of that um, of course too so
0: yeah so it speaks to the importance of political engagement Mm on behalf of educators, mm-hmm. really. People that value that sort of openness and uh, and policies, therefore, that support it or encourage it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's important to just keep remembering that what you say and what you vote matters, and that it can have an effect on mm-hmm. education.
0: Well, that's quite a timely reminder, considering that uh, election day is coming up here in 2022. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, let me ask you if there are any other thoughts, anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation?
2: Um, I guess I'd like to just iterate again that while it may seem on the surface that this legacy admissions policy and the related affirmative action policies might only affect domestic students, they do have ripple effects because they affect higher education, and anything that's affecting one sector of it has the potential to spill over into other sectors like how international students are marketed and recruited.
0: Super. All right. Well, thank you both very much for participating in the first episode of season four of the IEM uh, podcast. This is a continuation of our work in the marketing and recruiting class here at Miss. And so I really appreciate your applying what you're picking up in class to these external events. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you.